Let me really quick make a couple mention of the upcoming events. This Saturday morning is Men of the Master. It's our, our monthly men's meeting, and the guys will be meeting at 8 o'clock for breakfast. I'm not sure what he's serving, but it's always big. It's either a doorstop burrito or a greasy, you know, ham and, and eggs or something, but it's always good, so... Uh, and it's our t- a, ch- a really neat opportunity to meet other men in the fellowship and Bible study. Pastor John's going to be teaching. Uh, John Deming's going to be teaching this Saturday morning. So, guys, you're welcome to come. And <clears throat> he's also going to put together the stage for Easter. They're going to do that this weekend on Saturday after Men of the Masters. So if you can come for that and, and maybe stay an extra half hour, hour, I'm not sure how long it takes. It, it's pretty heavy, so he really needs some help. Love to have you help. Uh, men's uh, uh, retreats coming up, and I'm just asking guys to grab a flyer. I put them in the little box as you walk out the door. Grab one of these. This is a joint retreat with Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee, uh, Calvary Chapel, Roma Land, and our church. And uh, a couple hundred guys singing worship songs. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you have to. You're in dorms, and yeah, there's guys that snore. And just get earplugs. Bring earplugs, and you're good. You'll be good. Good fellowship. If you want to know how good it is, ask Antonio, right? And is it good, Antonio? He's been going every year for, I don't know, yeah. I mean, he loves it. He wouldn't miss it. And, and I'll tell you what, when he rolls up, when, when Antonio rolls up, everybody goes, they run out to say hi. I mean, he, they're his brother, he's their brother, and they love it. So we'd love to see you to be a part of this, guy. So start praying about it. It's in June. And then out on the oak box tonight, you'll see a couple of flyers. One looks like this. It, it's about the, how you can serve for Easter. If you didn't know it, Easter's coming up here really quick, and our three services that we're going to be doing, Good Friday, Sunrise, and then our normal scheduled services on Sunday morning at 9 and 11. So uh, there are opportunities for you to help set up, and that's what this is all about, explaining that. We also have a sign-up sheet. If you can help, uh, we've divided it all up into all kinds of different places that you can be a part to serve the rest of the body. So you can get that information. You can take these. We really want you to take these. And uh, Barbara was telling me today that she takes about 10 of these and puts them in her car so that when she stops somewhere locally, she can get out and leave one somewhere, ask the manager if she can put it in the window. So take a group of these. Just grab a stack. We're going to have more available on Sunday. But, but invite your friends. You'd never know, you'd, you just never know who's going to say yes. And most people really want you to invite them to an Easter service. So here's an Easter service you can invite them to. We want to get the word out. We have plenty of flyers and posters. So take one tonight. Tonight we continue in our verse-by-verse Bible study through the book of Numbers. We're doing chapter-by-chapter. In this Old Testament book, we're in chapter 13 tonight, so open your Bibles there to Numbers chapter 13. And as you recall, these last few chapters, chapter 10, they they begin their journey. God has organized them. He's numbered them, thus the name for the book, Numbers. God's numbered the people. He's organized them in tribes. He's constructed the tabernacle so he can be with them. He's ordered them in a fighting army. There's a 630,000-man army that he's assembled. These Remember, they were slaves for 400 years. What do they know about fighting? God has organized them because they're going to go into the promised land. The picture, the 
the metaphor, the truth, more importantly, that this real historic story portrays to you and I as believers in the New Testament is that God is leading us to a promised land. Our promised land is heaven. But we go through this period of time on, on earth and life becomes a battle for many of us. I'm not sure about you, but I think that you would agree that, that there are times when you feel like you're in, in a battle. And it's up to us as soldiers in God's army to put our faith in our God who has promised to get us where? Where is God going to take us at the end of this life? To the promised land, which is heaven. That's the promise for each and every one of us as a Christian tonight. But we go through trials and we stumble and we struggle. And yet God is faithful. It's up to us to keep our eyes on the Lord. Otherwise, we become like these people in the chapter we're studying that actually Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, in the first 10 verses, he refers to the whining and murmuring and complaining about these people in these exact chapters that we're studying. Chapter 10, when they begin to leave. Chapter 11, when they whined about didn't have any meat to eat. Boy, did God give them meat. Chapter 12, where they complained about Moses' family, his own brother and sister complained about his leadership, tried to usurp their authority. And so very interesting, these chapters. And these people are whining, they're complaining. They are not trusting God who's given them a promise to get them to this specific land, the promised land. So they're murmuring and they're complaining. Tonight here in chapter 13, we get probably the most famous story from the book of Numbers. It's the 12 spies that go into the land to do reconnaissance. They want to know where to go and, and what the enemy's going to be like and where the cities are, the fortified places. And, and so the spies are going into the land. But what's interesting is, although in the very opening verses of this chapter, it says God tells Moses to, to pick these men. It's because the people complained. It's because they want, I'm going to show you where that is in the Bible, by the way. They complained. They wanted to see. God knows that they're going to go in there, and God knows what's going to happen eventually. They just don't. And rather than trusting the Lord, just like you and I in this walk of faith and the battle we are in today, Instead of trusting the Lord, instead of walking by faith, they start complaining. And they see ahead of them the danger signs, and they freak out. And the ten spies come back, as you recall, and they give them what's known as the majority report, which is, oh, we can't go there. Their knees are shaking. They're freaking out. But there's two faithful men that we meet, two faithful men in this chapter that you probably remember, Caleb and Joshua. And so this is where they're introduced. This is the chapter about the spies. But there's lots of good application for us as a church tonight. I hope that you'll pay attention, and I hope you have your Bibles open. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it tonight. Father, I thank you for the word. I ask God that you would teach us through this study, and the Holy Spirit, that you'll illuminate our heart and minds to the truth of your word. And may we, Lord, as your sons and daughters, may we apply these truths to our lives today. Help us, God, to hear what the Spirit is saying through the Word. 
Help us, God, to hear your word and, and apply it into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this is probably the, the biggest mistake they're, they're going to make because the, the result of their mistake, the result of, of the spies coming back and freaking out the people, and the, the, the fact that the people now, at, by the end of this chapter, they don't want to go in anymore. They want to go back to Egypt again. They're, they freak out. The result is, instead of a 14-day journey into Canaan, which they're on the border of right now in the promised land, it's going to take them 40 long years. That's the result of their unbelief. That's the result of not walking in the promises as God's laid out for them, just as you and I in our lifetime are to walk in the promises and believe God by faith and trust in him as we go through difficulties and trials. That's what we're going to see here. Now, chapter 12 begins at the border of Canaan. They're in this city, you may recall, called Kadash, which is the word for holy in Hebrew. We've, we say Kadesh Barnea. It's Kadash. But Kadesh Barnea is where we find them now. You see that at the end of chapter 12, verse 16. Notice it says, and afterward the people moved from Hazaroth, and they camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now I'm going to show you a map really quick here. This map kind of depicts where they've gone. They've come from the land of Goshen, and they've, they've uh, left. They were fleeing from the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. They came all the way down to the Red Sea, which is on the bottom right-hand corner. God miraculously opened the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. They ended up on the other side of the Red Sea. They turned back to see the approaching Egyptian army, and God miraculously collapsed that body of water, the whole sea just came down upon the Egyptian army, just decimating that army. Miriam, the prophetess, Moses' sister, sings the song, the horse and rider, he's thrown into the sea. You recall the story. And then they begin this year-long stay at the mount, Mount Sinai. And while they're at Mount Sinai, they're putting together the tabernacle. They're putting together, taking all the gold and things they, they took from Egypt, and they build the beautiful tabernacle so God could come and dwell with them and be with them. They've moved from, it's down here at the bottom, Mara, Elam, all these different places we've already seen. And then they moved up. There's Hazaroth. I should have brought my pointer. This is the mention in chapter 12 there. And then they move up here. Kadesh Barnea is right in this area the wilderness of Paran, they're in this area overlooking Canaan. That's the promised land. That's where they're going. So geographically, just to show you, I love maps, but we start with a reconnaissance mission. Look, notice verse 1. And the Lord, verse, chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now again, it's important to understand that God is sending these people, he's allowing these people to go in to see what's in the land, not to scare them, but to prepare them. And I believe there are many times in our lives where God allows us to see. We go to the doctor. And the doctor says, you know, I'm not really sure, but you might have cancer. And you go, oh, my, 
You know, your world shakes. God allows you to see a little bit. That should make us as believers run back to him and say, Lord, I, I don't know about cancer. I don't know about this sickness. I don't know about this disease, but I do know that you love me. And I do know that you'll get me through this. And I do know that at the end of life, I'm going to be with you. So, Lord, I surrender to you. That's, that's the response of a mature believer, the believer that's growing. These people, they're not there yet. They're growing, but God is going to let them see so they can be prepared according to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we could have gone there and read, and I'm just going to put up a big a portion of that scripture here. Um, the people were determined to go. I want you to notice in this verse behind me, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. So God was, as they got to Kadesh Parnia, and they're looking into Canaan, God is, is saying, you're going to go possess it. There's no question. You're going to go in there. You're going to possess it. This is the land I promised you. And as the Lord your God, your fathers has spoken to you. Again, throughout the Bible, we have the spoken word of God. I get this question all the time. How do we know that God's word is is true? How do we know? Because he spoke it. Throughout the Bible, you hear God spoke, God spoke. God spoke the world in, in, in existence, Genesis chapter 1. God speaks and it's recorded by men of God who were born along by the Holy Spirit, First uh, Peter. All scripture, 2 Timothy, is given by inspiration, spoken by God, it's recorded. You can, the Bible that you have in your hands, oh, cherish that, that's the word of God. It doesn't matter what theologian, what pastor reads or says to you, well, you know, scholarship says that the Bible, blah, blah, blah. I don't care what they say, and I don't care about their scholarship. There's great scholarship about the Bible and its historicity, its geography, and its longevity. No other book has been recorded as many times, has been transcribed as many times, and is as accurate as the text that you have right in your hands. It's the word of the Lord. God spoke it. Notice, he spoke to your fathers as he's spoken to you. Do not fear and be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, here's the point. Let us send men before us. Here's the, the, the idea is that the people, the children of Israel, were all complaining again. And they're saying, we want to go see. We want to go inspect. We want to go check this out. So it was the people, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and the cities into which we shall come. So it's the people that originally asked Moses to allow them to go in and see the land. And then God gave permission. We see that here in Numbers chapter 13. God is giving his permission. Okay, you want to go see it, but I've already promised it to you. You're going to take it. You're going to end up there. This is my sovereign plan for you. This was always God's purpose and plan. God never promised his people that taking the land of Canaan would be easy. God has never promised you that your trials or difficulties or hardships or sicknesses will be easy, has he? In fact, I think realistically we need to understand as Christians that God will allow something in our life so that we can be the testimony he wants us to be. Again, it's up to us as mature believers to surrender to Almighty God and to allow him to do what he wills. 
Pastor Lee, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. That's where faith comes in. Hebrews 1, or Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. And the believer is to live by faith. We believe Jesus and whom we've never seen by faith. We are to walk by faith. Again, this is a perfect illustration about people that aren't walking by faith. Their eyes are not on God. Their eyes become, uh, they look at their circumstances and their lives and they don't trust the Lord. Again, that's what we see as, as we read this story. God's prepared them. He's taken a year. He's counted them, numbered them, arranged them, organized them this past year in chapters 1 through 10. And then they begin their march. God has given them everything that they need. And now he's going to allow them to see. He's going to allow them to see the land, the produce, and the people in it. These spies are going to go in and see those things. And the, the people were expected to remember God's promise in light of what they saw. They were expected to go into the land and say, whoa, giants. Hey, but we have a giant God. Wow, look at all those cities and, and look at the fortifications around them. But our God is, is stronger. He's mighty. He can, he can conquer. Oh, look at the grapes. Look at the produce. Look at the forests that we can use to build with. They were supposed to see all those things, and that was their response was, look how almighty God is going to faithfully provide. He, he faithfully, miraculously delivered us from bondage through those 10 specific assaults against the gods of Egypt, those miraculous signs that he's shown us, and now he's over us all day long with a cloud leading us and all night long with a nightlight, fire, and cloud. God is with us. He's guiding us. Now it's up to us to walk by faith. God's given us everything that we need. So this reconnaissance mission, this, the eyes of these that are going to report on what's going on there, they're supposed to be looking through eyes of faith. They're supposed to remember God's past miraculous deliverance. So God gives permission. Chapter 13, verse 1. For these spies, God says, okay, Moses, you can pick these 12 spies. You can send them out on this reconnaissance mission to bring back word to us the way by which we must go up. Again, the application in every circumstance in our life as believers that we're to remember that God's promise and God's power and God's faithfulness. We see it throughout the Bible, but we're supposed to live on it. We're, that's the substance of faith. We're supposed to live on it. We're supposed to lean on that as believers. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to trust and obey God. You know this verse of Scripture. I think it's appropriate here. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What will he do? He'll direct your paths. He'll lead you in a straight path. My paths are crooked. I, 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 don't, I shouldn't go that way. I shouldn't go that way. I get all confused. But if I trust the Lord, he'll make my path straight. He'll lead and guide me. The Christian must believe. The Christian must trust God and his spoken, written, and written word. Now, 
God tells Moses there in verse 2, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to you, the children of Israel. Now, there's no question mark there. God is assuming that they'll do exactly what he instructs, what he commands them to do. He's saying a land which I've given, I am giving to you, not a land which I might give to you or I'm thinking about giving to you, but a land that I'm giving to you. Again, the words of God are so specific and we as Christians need to hold on to them. God is the God of truth. He never tells a lie. God never changes or changes his decisions. He's immutable. And what he says, we can rely upon. What he says is true. And so we need to stand on that. We need to trust him in that. The spies are supposed to trust the Lord, the land I've given you. They're supposed to go out with that authority. They're supposed to go out with that confidence and, and do what God has told them to do, to take the land that God has promised them. Everything they see should be seen through eyes of faith, by belief. God's going to give it. Wow, that's big, but God's going to give it. Wow, those people are tall. They're giants. They're Anakites. I think my family were Anakites. That's what I'm told. Tall, and they're giants, and, and they're, they're, but our God is greater. Our God is stronger. They're supposed to be looking with eyes of faith because of God's promises, and they're supposed to act on God's promises as well. But not to act on God's promises is not to believe his word. So each and every one of us, you know, as we read these, as I went through this study today, I kept thinking, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, help me to surrender to you so much more. We're to trust God and his promises and not do with the same thing that the children of Israel are doing here. You'll notice here in verses 4 through 16, we have the 12 spies. They're chosen. I'm not going to read the whole section. You'll know why in a second. But verse 4, we have the names of the tribes of Reuben. There's these names. And then go to verse 6. Here's the important one. From the tribe of Judah, we have Caleb. Caleb, the son of Jephnah. Okay, and then there's all these other men's names that we don't hear about because they're the names of unbelief. Go all the way down to verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And then Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, or Joshua, Hoshea. I love that name. We have a grandson with that name, Joshua means salvation. Jehovah, Yeshua, our God is salvation. And Joshua is another great character. We won't see him anymore tonight, but we'll read about him next week in chapter 14. Where we'll look real deeply at both Caleb and, and Joshua. But Caleb and Joshua are the two spies, the minority report that we'll hear about here. And then there's the 10 spies that give this majority Report, but each spy is chosen by God. They're selected from each one of the 12 tribes, the children of Israel there. Caleb and Joshua believe God and they see by faith. The other 10, the majority report, they are fearful. Now, notice in verse 17, we have the command for the spies. Then Moses, verse 17, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said to them, go up this way to the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. 
whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they're, they're in the springtime, probably the late spring, early summer, the first harvest of grapes. So they're moving into this land. It's desert hot. That's why they need the cloud that God is protecting them with there in the hot uh, desert there, the Sinai Desert. And they're to look and to inspect and to see. And Moses wants the spies to actually take an inventory. He wants to know exactly what's going on there to answer the question, what's the land like? What are the people like? What are the forests like? What are their fortified cities like? How many people are there? He's asking them to be very detailed in what they see. And the main reason would be the children of Israel have been out of this land for 400 years. None of the Israelites have seen it in 400 years. Remember, they came from there. God miraculously brought them down. It was, it was Joseph, the faithful son, Joseph, that was Pharaoh's right hand. And then the, all the sons were brought down through these schemes and different things. God brought the people down. And then they populated for 400 years, and now there's an army, or the, uh, the people number 2.5 2. million to 3 million people. Exactly what God had told Abraham, as many as the stars in the sky or the sands of the sea. So everything's going to God's plan. They're to trust the Lord. They're to see these things through eyes of faith, but the 10 spies aren't looking with eyes of faith. The two, Caleb and Joshua, who we'll talk a lot about as we move through Numbers, they become a great study, and we'll look at them really specifically as we move through here. But it was... It was on Mount Sinai, if you remember, at the burning bush that God told Moses where to go, where he's going to go to this promised land. And God described it to Moses very specifically. You'll probably recall this. Notice behind me on the screen. It's a good and large land, a land flowing with what? Everybody knows that. To the place of the Canaanites, notice. Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So God's already told them that it's going to be an awesome land that's very fruitful, but there's a lot of ites there. There's a lot of peoples there. There's, there's a lot of them, and there are different tribes, and there's lots of them. So he's already told them that. He told, them that, he told Moses that at the burning bush. Moses has told his sons, as, as maybe these armies were being formed in the early portions of Numbers, how come we're forming armies? the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. I mean, I'm sure that, that reverberated, okay, okay, we got to get ready for battle. They've known this all along. So Moses now, he commands these spies to go in and take close inventory, to look strategically, to do this reconnaissance mission, count the people, look at the forest. Where are the cities? Are they on hilltops? Are they in valleys? They're getting a, a real good lay of the land. That's what they were to do because they're going to have to overcome obstacles. They're going to have to battle when they get there. Again, here's the application for you and I as New Testament believers. 
just as God allows these people to send spies and see the threats before the battles, before the difficulties. God allows them to see the things that are threatening. God tells us to keep our eyes on him and walk by faith. When we get the diagnosis, when we hear of a sick loved one, when we are in a difficult place at work, or when our marriage starts to go south, and he shows us a little bit, he allows us to see it a little bit. That's when we need to run to him. That's when we need to pray and we need to seek him. But the giants in our lives could be cancer. It could be a failed marriage. And we're supposed to go to the Lord by faith. When he allows us to see a little bit of the land ahead of us, In the case of these people, instead of running to the Lord and looking at the land and saying, we can do this, we can conquer this by faith because we have a mighty God, they saw the obstacles as so big and the cities as so large and the giants as so tall that they freaked out, that they, it just, it blew their minds and they, they lost all faith. They became unbelievers in a sense. They, their unbelief stole from them the ability to go into that land with confidence in God's word. It ripped them off. And so they come back with what I call the majority report. Notice in verse 21, they went up and uh, and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and they came to Hebron. Amen, Shishai, Telmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. That's the giants. Now, Hebron was built on s- seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So it's an old city. That's the idea. It's been there a long time. So it's obviously fortified. Then they came to the valley of Eskol, and there they cut down a branch with a cluster of grapes, and they carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So the reconnaissance mission here lasts for 40 days. They see the people, they see the cities, they see the produce, they see the land. Now, the borders that are described here are about 100 miles apart. I'm not going to go back to the map, but because my map doesn't really show Syria, but they go all the way up to the border of Syria. So they're, they're looking at the whole land. They're not zigzagging, but they're going strategically around these large cities. They're spying. They don't want to be seen. They're undercover, but they're moving very quickly, very rapidly. They go up and back, and it takes them 40 days to do this, this spy, this reconnaissance mission there. And notice that they bring this huge cluster of grapes. That's so big. It's not that the grapes were like, each grape was like that big, (laughs) big old grape. But it means the clusters of grape were so big and so full that they had to have two guys carry this large cluster of grapes to bring it back to show the people that the land is very fruitful. Notice verse 26, now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. 
They brought back word to them, to all the congregation. So they've come back with a report, all of them, not just one of them. So you've got to get this in your mind. When they come back with this report, they all have something to say. There's 10 of them with a majority report, and they're going to speak all the things that they saw. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit, as they plopped down that big bunch of grapes before them. Nevertheless, now here's the problem, the word there, nevertheless, we saw the lamb, we saw the fruit, but nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Now again, one of the things that you should notice right away as you read this is their report is correct. There were giants in the land. There were large cities. Everything that they're saying so far is true. The land was flowing with milk and honey, and it was filled with lots of people. All the tribes that God had revealed at the burning bush to Moses were there. God had already revealed it to them, and they were there. So these people knew they were there, and they come back with this report of all these people, Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, Canaanites. The Amalekites, interesting, when you study them in Genesis chapter 36, they were the offspring of Esau. These are the, the Arab people. But these are the Amalekites there. They're nomads. They wander around the desert. Then you have the Hittites. They were the people that were really from the north, Syria and what's known as modern-day Turkey in that area in the, the north. But they still populated areas in that land. The Jebusites were generally in the central area of Israel where Jerusalem is today. And then the Canaanites were just generally the rest of the people along the coast. Uh, but there were many cities Many villages, lots of people, that's the idea here. But God showed them all, all of the obstacles, all of the people, all of the giants, everything. God allowed them to see all of that. Again, because God wanted them to know what they were getting into, he wanted them to prepare. But instead of looking with eyes of faith, they looked with eyes of fear. They were afraid of what they saw. They, they came back with this report that, hey, th this land's occupied, this, th the giants are too big, the cities are too strong. That was the report, the majority report there. Instead, God wanted Israel to respond with, we believe you, God, and we'll obey what you want us to do. We'll take the city, we'll take the land that you promised us. But instead, they responded with fear, Notice that word again, verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities fortified and large. Descendants of Anak are there. The, the word nevertheless really means despite all of that. In other words, none of that matters. The people are too big. None of, that, none of the word, none of the Bible, none of the New Testament promises of God, none of that matters. The cancer is too big. None of that matters. My, my boss is on my case, and I'm going to lose my job. None of, your promises don't matter, God. Do you, do you see what they're doing? Have you ever been in that place before? Don't raise your hand. Like me, I'll say. 
where the difficulty, the trial becomes so overwhelming, you forget the promises of God. That's what's happening to these people. I think we've all known that kind of fear. And the result of, of living in fear rather than faith is you miss out on all the blessings of God. And you have to go through 40 years to get where God wanted to take you in 14 days. Makes sense, doesn't it? Again, we should take heart because all of these things were written so that we could learn, so that we don't have to make the same bonehead mistakes that these people made. That's the advantage we have as believers. I I love that truth. Instead of trusting the promises of God, these people, their fear overtook them. Now, fear is powerful, wouldn't you say? We all have different fears. Some of you have, some of you are afraid of spiders. I know that we have big spiders in the mountains. My daughter, she hates spiders. Like, duh, I know there's a spider in there. Snakes, spiders, heights. Some people are really afraid of heights. I, I kind of like heights myself. I was hang gliding last week. It was so much, I love it. I was 5,000 feet over the valley in my hang glider. I love it. It's, but most people, they, they just, they lock up, man. They can't handle that. Freaks them out. Some people, you know, are afraid of of a myriad of things. Fear, here's the point in my illustration. Fear can really control you. Fear can can absolutely drive you away from God and faith. That's why we need to read this and understand this and learn so that when fear comes, and it will, that we'll put our faith in God and his promises and his word. We'll find ourselves just reading, reading, reading the scriptures, just, Lord, show me, Lord, help me, Lord, and then God will reveal himself to you in his word. And God will bring those promises to your remembrance and, and you'll go from fear to faith. I love these promises. God never intended us to live or operate in constant fear. In fact, the apostle Paul told Timothy, I'm sure you're familiar with this verse behind me on the screen, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. That's, that's what God wants you to, as a believer to have. That comes from reading the word. It comes from prayer. It comes from walking in the spirit and walking by faith. And God doesn't give us fear. Who gives you fear? Well, my flesh, yes, and Satan. Satan's the wicked old scratch threatening you. He's the evil one. God never tempts you or I with evil. God doesn't do that. So if, you're, if you feel fear, that's not God. It could be you, but it's not God. We need to be people of faith. God gives us a sound mind and power. When we're walking by faith daily, we're not worried about what others others think. When you're walking by faith in the Lord and his promises, you're not worrying about failure. You're not worried about losing your job. You're not worried about your bank account or your marriage because you're trusting the Lord. You're walking by faith. You're surrendered to God. In fact, to live by faith is to act without constantly looking over your shoulder. You can live confident. You can live assured that God loves you and you're going to make it to the promised land because of what God's done in your life. So you're not constantly, did I do that right? Did I do that right? It's a wonderful way to live, to walk by faith, to live by faith and not by fear, which which again really helps us to understand that we are promised land people. 
God has given us the promises. He's going to get these people to the promised land, even though they're stubborn and whiny. He's going to get you and I to the promised land as well. So we, we can either go there kicking and screaming, or we can go there submitted and surrendered. It's really up to you to live by faith or to live by, by fear. Promised lands come with obstacles and giants. Here's one. Here's one you all know about. When I took over senior pastor in 2012, I thought, Lord, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put that green spot property on the, on the chopping block. We're going to sell that boat anchor that we're making payments on. Man, oh, man, a few months later, we're going to be right on. We'll be great. Here we are in 2019, and we still have that property. It's still a boat anchor. It's been one of the biggest giants in, in the ministry for me. And God is teaching me to surrender, you know. I, where, what else can I do? But, but no, God is teaching me, just like he's teaching you, just to surrender. Because it doesn't do any good for me or you to fret. It doesn't do any good. for We pray, the guys on Thursday nights, they just pray faithfully, Lord, you have a perfect time. Lord, you know all about it. We just surrender to you, Lord. I love that. I love that. It's been so good to hear that from other uh, believers in the church. But that, that, that was a giant. Legal fees, lawyers, and the threat that this church has been under. But God is faithful. And one day soon, he's going to bring a <laughs> bunch of grapes to this church. I'm looking for the grapes. <laughs> it's going to happen. I, I really believe. We just need to trust him, right? Encourage your pastor with those words, by the way. <laughs> so Caleb, Caleb, unlike the 10 spies, lives in a different way. He's got vision that's filled with faith. He doesn't have fear. He comes back like, let me at him. And Caleb's so wonderful. When you study Caleb later on, in his, later on in his life, when he's given land, he gets land that's the most desolate land that's right next to the enemy. And he's like, right on, that's the land I want because I want to beat those guys up, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer He's like 75 years old, and he's like ready to conquer. I love Caleb. He's a great study. Uh, we'll, we'll look at his life a little bit more. But notice Caleb's fearless report in verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people. Why? Because the ten spies are riling him up. You should have seen the giants. You should have seen the cities. But Caleb quiet. Hey, hey, hey. We're God's people. We're promised land people. I can just hear him say something. He said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. I love that. His faith, his courage, his trust in the promises of God, they become a, a wonderful example for us as believers. That's, that's the kind of, of response that you want to have when you have a giant in your life, when you have something that needs to be overcome in your life. You need to be like Caleb. Let's go up and just take it. Let's, let's, let's master it. Let's, let's overcome it. That's what he's saying there. Now, Caleb's name, it's interesting, several renditions, but it really means blessed forever. It's a very interesting name, and he's a, he's a blessed man, but he's the commander. He's the one given charge over this tribe, he's the spy that was chosen, and he's going to become a very valiant warrior, a very important strategic man 
uh, in, in God's army here, the, the 630,000 man army that's uh, part of the children of Israel here. But Caleb, his courage and his just standing firm when everyone else is freaking out. You've got to remember the 10 spies, spies aren't reporting that. They're, they're fearful. But Caleb and Joshua, Caleb primarily here, is not afraid at all. He trusted in his God. He's not worried about the size of the giants or the cities. The question in life is, is not how big is the problem, but how big is my God? And I believe that was his response. And Caleb, in response to the 10 spies and all of their fear, he says, listen, we can do this. We can take it. Now, notice the majority fear-filled report here in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, no, no, we, we're not able to go against the people for they're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spied is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were great of stature, there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak came from giants. That's Moses' little parenthesis there. And we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. They're giants. We're like these little teeny insects. And they're big. They're going to step on us, squash us. They're going to exterminate us. That's all we are in this land. I mean, you hear what they're saying? They have no faith in God. They're fearful. They're grasshoppers in the land. Caleb saw God, the 10 spies saw giants and big cities and, and their opponents. When others said, we can't, Caleb says, we can. There's the difference between fear and faith. When everybody else wanted to turn back, Caleb said, let's go forward. Let's, let's take this for the Lord. When others saw problems, Caleb saw promises. Someone said this, too many Christians suffer, suffer from a grasshopper complex. When faced with a giant in life, instead of trusting God, they pack up their faith and go home. I think that's really true. And sadly, the majority of people there in the camp are listening to the 10 spies. They're not listening to Caleb. They're not listening to Joshua. Again, we'll see more of that as we move into chapter 14. But all of these people, they're camped right on the border of Canaan. They're at Kadesh Barnea. They're, they're ready to go in. God's brought them right to the threshold. He allowed them to see their opposition and strategically plan where they're going to be moving so that they can do what God's called them to do, and that's to take the land that he has promised them. But their fear, their fear overtakes them, and now because of their fear, nevertheless, remember, because of their fear, 40 more years of marching in the desert. Now, again, next week we're going to look more at, at Joshua and Caleb and their strong faith, but as I was studying this and in closing, let me just remind some of you of, of a man that if you don't know about him, you should know. His name is George Mueller. He lived in the 1800s. He was born in the early 1800s. He, he lived to about 1898. He was English. He lived in Bristol, England. He wanted to be an evangelist. He went to seminary and failed. 
but he kept his eyes on the Lord. And God led him to establish an orphanage. If you're familiar with England, there was a lot of orphans in the early part of that century. And so out of the kindness and, and love of Christ, he started an orphanage. He had a plate, he had a few pictures and 40, 40 uh, implements, and he started this orphanage. And he went year after year after year until several years into his ministry, all by faith, he had over 10,000 orphans in England. Now he's, again, this is a true story, and you can Google George Mueller in the 1800s, and you'll find all these things to be true. Five campuses, 10,000 orphans who were fed, housed, educated, and trained for future jobs. Again, he never asked a corporation. He never took a donation of, of tax money. All he did was pray. He's a great example in a, of a man of prayer. One of the stories tells of, of his first house. He had 100 orphans. They ran out of food. And so the morning he woke up, there was no milk for the, the orphans to drink. And so he got on his knees and he began to pray. Five minutes after he was, while he was praying, there was a knock on his door. And he goes outside, he opens the door, and there's a, a, a truck. It's a milk truck pulled by a horse and a carriage. But the horse went lame right in front of his house. And the guy came and said, hey, can you use this milk? Because I can't, it's, it's going to go bad. It's, we're not going nowhere today because of my horse. I got to take my horse. So you can have the milk. And the guy left it with the milk right there. <laughs> there was story after story after story in George Mueller's life. He was a man of prayer and a man that lived by faith. God wants you and I to live by faith. He wants us to choose faith and not fear. He wants to, us to rely on promises and not be like these people. These stories, these histories that we're reading about are all for our example in learning. So let me close with this question. What do you fear tonight? What's your fear? What giants are looming in your life tonight? What are they? Have you trusted in the Lord with all your heart? Are you leaning on him and, and not the doctor's wisdom? And doctors have wisdom. I'm not saying to disregard them. I'm saying that we need to go to the Lord. We need to ask the Lord. We need to rely on the Lord. We need to surrender to the Lord. And then he'll make our path straight as he promises. As I was studying this, I remembered the, an old hymn that I grew up singing in the Nazarene Church right here in San Bernardino. It's called God Any Rivers, written by a guy named Oscar Ellison. And here's how it goes. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. And as I teach this evening, I, I just sense in my heart that there's brokenness out here. There's people here that have some serious giants that they're facing. And I pray that this study would encourage them to walk by faith. To remember that they're promised land people. That you have a purpose and a plan for every breath they take. 
that you desire to use them. And you desire to use their life, even in their trial and hardship. You desire that to be glorified in. So, Lord, we surrender. And I pray for those tonight that they would surrender. And right now, I, I just pray as we're, we're, we're I'm praying, and as, as you're sitting there, just bow your head and, and just begin to whisper your prayer of surrender to the Lord. Surrender the giant. The giant of sickness or illness or infirmity. Surrender the, the economic giant that's before you. Maybe it's a relational giant. Surrender that to the Lord. Give it to God tonight. Acknowledge it. It's a mountain. Speak to it. And ask God to remove that mountain. Father, you know my mountain. You're faithful. And you have a plan and purpose. I just pray for you to move that mountain in your time for your glory and your purpose. And I surrender that, Lord, tonight as we surrender our difficulties, our giants, our mountains to you. Because you specialize in things that are thought impossible. You do things that no one else can do. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Yeah.